Welcome to the Bonmo Podcast. This week, Athena Kablenu is answering the questions while I chip in with what I believe to be insightful comments. And with that, over to Athena. Okay. Hello. Thanks for having me. Um, I am going to introduce myself. I'm going to tell you my favourite song, book and film and my favourite joke or observation. Um, for the record, I hate having to choose my favourite songs, books and films because I, I like so much stuff. No, no, no. Hang We're on. Uh, I like so much stuff. Yeah. I know. There's just so much, you know, it's like, and, it, I, and what I do is I'll be like, this is my favourite song. And then I wake up in the middle of the night and I'll be like, no, what about take that back for good? Um, <laughs> so what I'm going to talk about, <laughs> you know, everyone everyone forgets about back for good. It's a classic. Right. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, oh, I could talk about Gary Barlow's songwriting all day, but okay. what I'm going to do is talk about what I'm loving at this moment because it changes. Yeah. So at, at the moment, um, Little Sims Introvert is is my favourite song. Um, I saw her, I was lucky enough to see her on the weekend. I was taken as a little birthday treat and I saw her perform it live. And I've always thought, uh, if you don't know Little Sims, she's got an album. Sometimes I might be Introvert and Introvert is the opener to that album. And I always thought it's one of the best album openers of all time. Yeah, It's such a, um, don't know if you've heard the album, but that song is such a statement of intent for like, not just the album, but who she is as an artist. Yeah. And um and when she performed it live, it was like a spiritual moment. <laughs> it was like, oh my God, this is literally, it's as incredible as I thought it was when I first heard it on Spotify, you know? So um, at the moment, Introvert by uh, Lil Sims. Um, book, I just finished reading um, Sex Lives of, The Sex Lives of African Women, which is just a wonderful compilation of monologues um, of women from the African diaspora. So literally like so diverse women from Ghana, black Americans, black British women, black Kenyan women, black South Africans, wow. different languages, different religions. And it's just like, and so many sexual identities and so many stories and it's happy, tragic, sad, beautiful, mm. moving, all of the above. Um, and highly recommend it to everyone. Um, and I'm, I'm still thinking about um, the people that I read about. And I think it's, there's a real absence, I think, of... We don't have, like, a sex in the city for anyone who isn't, like, a white, middle-class, rich, rich woman. You know, we don't have that. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and that yeah. kind of freedom for women in particular, and men too, to a certain extent, um, is, isn't really experienced in, in a certain way. So very interesting to, to, for me to realise how, how little I've noticed that, that absence. Yes. Um, um, so that's good. Uh, so that I really enjoyed that. Um, film, film's always a tough one for me because I love film. I'm a bit of a cinephile, but um, I'm gonna, um, I'm going to say that my favorite film at the moment. Oh, what's my favorite one at the moment? That's really no. I'm gonna skip that, yeah. but I might come back to it that's later in the show. Yeah, totally um, yeah. <laughs> I might come back to it later, later in the show. Um, and my favorite um, observation has got to be Richard Pryor. Famous sketch when uh, he's like an uh, he's like an archaeologist and he's a black archaeologist with like lots of white colleagues and like they find out like you know black sub-Saharan Africans invented loads of things and they lock him in the tomb. <laughs> it's just there's something so, what I love about that is like sometimes when you make jokes about things that people know about already and most people are aware of the kind of denial of like African endeavor and invention. Mm -hmm. It's like it's really hard to be original or to say something that's funny. But like the the way it's played out and the way he acts it out and the way he does it, it's like that's the last joke that needs to be told about Egyptology. <laughs> like it does, no one else needs to tell tell that joke no, or do no, no. do that again. So always um always entertaining and probably one of my favorite 
And that, one of my favourite observations, yeah. That and that is coming very slowly. It is coming out more, isn't it? About the the person we believe to be the inventor or the person who discovered it. Actually, what's starting to come out, not always, but in quite a few places now. Well, actually, it was first discovered by this person, but they kind of got forgotten about, and this this one claimed all the glory. And there's quite a lot of that going on, isn't there? Um, Massively, I think we hate the internet, and we're right to hate it, but the democratization <laughs> of information has allowed these stories to be told and you, mm. you put it live and you press share and you fact check it, you fact check it all of a sudden you've got you've got this you've got we talk about disinformation but we've also had a real um a real era of of actual information yeah you know mm. and you go on wikipedia and most of it most of wikipedia will tell you the truth about who invented mm-hmm. the telephone you know or who <laughs> invented uh you know um the radio and these things that and who invented the light bulb even, you know, all these yeah. pe- the people you think invented these things didn't. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, like that's one of the things that we shouldn't forget exists al- amongst all the other horrible, horrible stuff. Um, well, yes, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, just to drop a clanging promo, the other one, um, other podcast I do is called Commemorate. And that actually is for people who we may, some people may have forgotten or aren't perhaps quite as well known. There's a couple of people in there who are the original inventor, not the person you know, we believe was the inventor. So it's, it's a fascinating journey. So it's all there if you dig. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's all there. But it is absolutely, it's fascinating. It's absolutely it's, well, for me, it's fascinating because you just go, oh, I didn't realise that they'd done all the hard graft and then this, <laughs> let's be honest, quite often this white rich person turned up and went, no, no, I'll take the credit for that. Thank you. And it's, yeah, um, yeah. you know. There is a theme there, let's put it that way. It is like, um, it, I mean, when people could control information, mm. that's when this happened. But mm-hmm. now you can't do that. You don't have to be, buy, go to Waterstones and buy a book to find out who made something. Stuff. You can just go on to the internet. Yeah, that's so true. that's a big part. Yeah. That's a big part of it. I, I think it's a big part of it anyway. No, I think you're um, right. Yeah. yeah. That's a good anyway, thing. so let's... The internet I, can absolutely. do good. Let's remember that. It can it can do good and it has done good. It yes. just does a lot of terrible, terrible things. Yes, it's absolutely. Two, yeah. two sides yeah. to that coin, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, so which comedian or sketch first made you laugh? So I'm going to talk about, I mentioned Richard Pryor, but I'm going to talk about The Far Show, okay. which to this day is, is I think, unmatched. Um, a d- remarkable combination of wit stupidity slapstick and uh, pathos i've just never seen i've never seen acting like you see when you when you see ted and ralph yeah. do their sketches yeah. but at the same time you know you think about a scorchio guy <laughs> so it's really yeah. late anyway i want to talk about my favorite um character he was played by simon day and he was called Competitive Dad. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and Competitive Dad was just literally a guy who would take his son out swimming, but he'd just, like, batter his son in the swimming pool. And it used to just make me laugh so much. And Simon Day does anger really well. He also did a character called Road Rage Richard, mm-hmm. which used to make me just fall off my chair laughing. But um, I would say, as much as I... all The, the whole cast of the first show yeah. were just, like... I just don't, I don't think we've assembled a better cast of comedy actors. Um, just so great. But no, um, cool. competitive dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you, I uh, should say, if you haven't seen that, do do uh, internet search for that. I'm sure there's clips on YouTube 
um, you could watch. Oh, don't say that. I feel old. When oh, you say no, you search on YouTube. The last year our show came out, so, you know. Yeah. It's literally, it's surely it's only a couple of years old. Surely. <laughs> exactly, um, exactly, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, very, I don't think, yeah, for me, the pinnacle of sketch. Um, and I think whatever kind of comedy you like is in the far show. Um, yeah, which is why I like it, and yeah. I love and I love Paul Whitehouse. I think uh, I'm literally about two degrees of separation from him, and it thrills me. Brilliant! Like, it thrills me that's that I know bad. someone who knows Paul Whitehouse. I don't, and it's, that's what keeps me going. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant! I love that. Oh, superb! Uh, uh, this is another question. Uh, what is the most outrageous request you've ever received to do a gig or a script or a sketch for no exposure? <laughs> for exposure, and and how uh, how you did did you handle it? Um, the funny thing about this is you get asked to do a lot. Even even now, I'm not always saying that's a famous comedian, but I I work and I've worked a lot and well, I'm at a stage you've done now. Huge where... amount. Don't don't don't. don't <laughs> but there's come on. there's so much more. There's so much more. <laughs> it's like saying you've climbed K two, but have you done Everest? No, you know, just sit down, innit? You know. So it's it's so much more to do. But yeah, like it's I'm very happy that it's my job, but so much more to do. But I still get asked to do like like crazy things. Right, I'm a stand up comedian. I get asked to go on very, 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 very long drives um, and stand on stage for 20 minutes and then to go on very, very, very long drives to get home. And um, I get asked to kind of do that for like no money. And uh, I, <laughs> yeah, that's very common for stand ups. And I'm now privileged to be able to say no to a lot of that work yeah. but I'm still being asked to do it sometimes <laughs> and it's really funny because I sort of think why like yeah when I was new I would have done it because stage time is really important for a new comic but I kind of know I'm good at stand-up now I so think that's, good. Really, that's really healthy yeah 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 I'm not incentivized to to do unless it's someone I like and it's like charity you know, or, yeah, that's, you know, someone I want to do a favour for. Yeah. But generally speaking, these long, long drives for basically petrol money. Um, or not even that sometimes, yeah. yeah. Not even that sometimes. I know and what, I think, one of the other interviews I did, um, they were saying that they, it was, uh, to be fair, it was near the beginning of their career, so it was still that I need to make a name for myself. And it was like a four-hour drive to do a 15-minute set and a four-hour drive back, and it's like all the way there they're going, this is definitely going to be worth it, isn't it? This is definitely going to be worth it. I definitely should do this, shouldn't I? And it's like, that's eight-hour drive is a big commitment for a 15-minute slot, isn't it? But I've done that before. In fact, I was just telling my partner this, because I um I went to Cardiff a few days ago, yeah. and that was basically a three-hour drive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did the show in three hours. And he couldn't get his head around it, because I don't gig as much these days. No. He's not seen me be a circuit comic. And I'm like, this is really normal. This is not a big deal. No. This is just what we do. Yeah. And uh, I said to him, now three hours is my max drive. Like I wouldn't drive more than three hours to get somewhere and more than three hours to get back to do a show, mm. right? Um, but back in the day, it was four hours. Mm. <laughs> that was my limit. <laughs> so basically the better you get at comedy, the shorter that drive limit is. Um, but, brilliant, um, yeah. <laughs> so the next five, so in five years time, you'll have an hour limit on your... Yeah, and then when I'm, you know, when I'm like super famous, it's like, oh, look, doorstep. Like, can I do it on my porch? No, then don't worry about it. Is it walking distance of where I live? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not doing it. But yeah, he he couldn't get his head around the fact that you get into a car, drive three hours, perform and come home. But that's that's your job. Like, you know, that's that's my job. Um, But yeah, most all comedians will tell you a crap gig that was 
300 miles from their house. Yeah. All, all of them will say that. Yeah. I think that I think the main thing tends to be the the ones they've struggled with the most, which is not a great surprise, I suppose, is the corporate ones. So, you know, that, that's mm. the ones. Let me tell you something. I like a corporate gig. Oh, fair enough. And, and, I, and I, I was chatting about this to someone the other day. Let me tell you why I like a corporate gig. Because for years and years and years, I was on the other side of the stage. I was the person for whom the highlight of my year was the, de- the evening I got to put on a spangly dress and I got a three-course meal from my employer and I got to win an award or watch my friends win an award and get trashed and I might have had a chance with Jeffrey from HR or something, okay? So this is why I like corporates. I know what they mean to the people who, who attend them because I was there. They are literally... And if you... Honestly, if you actually understand what a corporate is and why the people are there and what, how much it means to them, you'll have a great time. Because obviously they're not set up like comedy nights. So if you go and you do your fucking material and it bombs and then you read out some names and you hand out some cheap trophies, yeah. you're going to have a terrible time. But if you realise everyone there genuinely wants to be there and everyone there is having the night of their life and it's like you have to go into their world, they're not in your world. You're in their world. Um, and yeah. some corporates are terrible. But when you do like you know, local government awards or... I did a Women in Finance Awards last year and it was such a riot, Brilliant. you know? And they, they loved it. Like, they loved being there. They were so excited to be there. They were happy to be recognised. They were thrilled. And I think you have to just... Um, you have to really lean into the the, um, the the environment that you're in in corporates. Too many comedians haven't had proper jobs. So they... And they get paid... You get paid really well to do corporates. which ironically makes people really resentful. Because they're like, oh my God, these people have so much money. They can just pay me money to come here and have a terrible time. But <laughs> really, it's like, that's the wrong attitude. The right attitude is corporates are great because they are good money. And they allow us to take a comedy hat on and we can get into their world. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I love a corporate. I'm not saying that, I'm, 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 you know, I'm not saying that all my corporate gigs have gone fantastic. But I am saying that I, I don't take them for granted. I think they're wonderful now, gigs and opportunities. And to be fair to them, I think this is more the occasions where they've been wheeled out at like quarter to midnight. You know, oh, yeah, Everyone's yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely gone. And then they're expected to deliver, you know, for 20 minutes or half an hour or whatever. And it's like, but there's the, everyone is basically lying on the floor. You know, it's like... but. This is what I mean. Like, don't do your set. Just shout at them for 20 minutes. Well, yeah. Like, yeah. Do, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, not being funny, but if you go to, like, certain clubs on a Friday night, that's your audience. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, there's a lot of comedy gigs out there. There's a lot of circuit gigs out there where the people are not very, inebri- uh, very inebriated, you know? So it's, I think maybe, because I do a lot of improv yeah. and a lot of kind of, a lot of, you know, MC and, you know, at the top of my set and whatever, it probably comes a little easy. Um, and I guess the improv comedians do like corporates a bit more um, and the comedians who are joke writers like improvs because we can write you know we tailor our sets really yeah, easily because we, we write news jokes every every week um, but yeah if you have to you just, just know what you're doing and then adjust your comedy to what you're doing it's not ideal don't get me wrong it's, <laughs> it's not, not ideal, ideal. No. But that's, like, that's a way to put it <laughs> yeah it's not ideal but I do think that there is like I do think corporates are literally like so many comedians keep their lights on because of corporates so I, I always like to kind of say actually if you, be careful what you wish for when you talk about corporates not being great because you know we don't want corporates to go we don't want no, them no, to, that, we want to keep corporates that's a very good observation yeah and it's interesting to say about the improv because I know you do um, do the right scene don't you so well I've, I, not anymore but I used to oh used yeah, to do I used it. sorry to. Used yes to do the right that was a good yeah I used to yeah yeah so you're, you're very grounded in improv so yeah 
No, it's a good point. It's a good point. Don't bite the hand that feeds and all that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. Fair point. Uh, okay. Um, so next question. If only one comedy festival was allowed to survive, which one would you fight for and why? Um, Kuntleth, MacFest. Okay. Um, a comedian's festival that just, I don't know how they do it. It's run by a comedy company called Little Wonder, mm. who I just think are so precious they love comedy and they love to celebrate it. And people who don't know MacFest, it's a comedy in, I think, mid Wales, maybe North Wales. It's about 20 minutes from Abbotsworth. Yeah. Um, and it's a little village, te- nightmare to find accommodation for. I stay in Abbotsworth and I just take the train down. And oh, wow. it's, yeah, no flyer in, no industry. If industry go, they've got to buy a ticket. They're discouraged from asking for comps. Uh, you will sell out your show there, whether you're famous or not, because people, people who go there love comedy. Brilliant. Um, it's, it is what every, for me, it's what every comedy festival should be. It Because of what it is, it's not like you can just apply to go. The, the organisers do invite people to play there. Oh, However, okay. they're really, but they're not, it's not cliquey. It's no, just a question no, no. of profile and hustle. So like the more you gig and the more you work, like, McClintleth will, Little Wonder who run it will just come find you and it's such a, it's super diverse without making a big song and dance about its diversity and it's just um, it's how all comedy festivals should be run I, I do it as often as possible Brilliant. Um, I will yeah like I'm actually booked for next year and I haven't got a show but I've just like <laughs> just book me I'll give you You've a show I love coming out time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, but uh, yeah Mac, so it's called MacFest and definitely if you love comedy and you want to and it's visit Wales and it's in a beautiful part of Wales too. yeah that's true like so nice um, and they just I think everything that needs to happen to make um, the ground fertile for comedy um, it's done there so um, yeah there's a lot of lot of love for MacFest which is Fair enough, really. Yeah, like based on what you said as well. Yeah, there is a lot of love for it, and quite rightly there should be. So you know, yeah, yeah. And because it's a yeah, because it's a small town. It's not like Edinburgh where people are out drinking and socialising. Like for me, I like to in festivals. I like to leave my house, do my gig, maybe say hi to people, a few people, and go home. And that's cool at MacFest because it's such a small town. There isn't really, I know there, there is like a bit of a vibe there. There's people hanging out, but generally speaking, it's not that place where it's not a place where you expect to network or any of that no. crap. No. So I can be, I can just be my introverted self and <laughs> while still enjoying being in a very extroverted industry, uh, which I, I, I don't take for granted. I, I really appreciate that festival and I really appreciate being on their radar and yeah. being able to go there. Yeah. No, no, great. Yeah, no, great, great choice. Thank you for that. All right. Next question. Do I have a lucky totem that has to attend every show, event or writing room with me? And what do I believe would happen if I lost it? Um, no, <laughs> but I, one thing, it's not lucky, my digital watch, <laughs> I have to, I don't have a vibrating watch or anything like that, but I, um, I have to wear my, my digital watch. Um, it's like always a Casio cause I like Casios Fair enough. and they last and they're cheap. Um, <laughs> and I time, I'm, I, I pride myself on sticking to my time. I do not like acts who go over their time. I my brain doesn't like it. No. I think because I'm really eager to get on stage as well. Like when I'm at a gig, I just want to. If my stage time's nine, I want to be on at nine. Yeah. You know, like I've yeah, always yeah. been like that, and yeah. I think uh, I don't. And I have gone over it in my time. Like I'm not like I'm not saying I've never done twenty two when I was on for twenty book for twenty, but generally speaking, I I I think it's important to to do your, your, the time requested out of respect to the audience yeah. and out of respect to the other acts and yeah. my digital watch. Definitely, my digital watch, yeah. 
Yeah, I no, yeah, I I like that. Yeah, so just uh, also so you can tap it when you're on the, in the sides. You can just tap it at the other act. Yeah, well, come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next question: If you could pretend a sketch, radio show, TV show, or film was written by you, which one would you blatantly steal? Um, I, I should say this is a, this is a no consequences steal. I know there's a whole thing about oh. <laughs> work, and that's all right and proper. This is purely a if you can get away with it and no one could ever suss it out. Which one would you claim? You know, was your... uh, this might this might surprise people, but I'll say it's a film, and I'll say it's the sound of music. Uh, oh wow! Something that people don't credit the sound of music for enough: the dialogue. So good, mm. such a good script. Really good. Like this, everyone loves the song. Songs are songs are dope, right? It's one of the best musicals ever. Mm. But the dialogue, the back and forth between the captain and Maria, yeah. oh, the chemistry, mm. the characterization of the captain's uh, of the baroness, who is the 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 jilted woman who then agrees she should be jilted. Yeah. Do you know how progressive that is? Yeah, for her to point, be like, yeah. I give you my man. Yeah. I see it. I see what you see. Yo. I, I keep telling people about the quality of that as a as a story and as as a as as just like writing and people are like shut up if you know <laughs> but I, I, it's a real they all show it New Year's Day so I make it, always make a point of watching the sound of music on New Year's Day too it is it's just a little thing that I do yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I look for it I'm like who's showing the sound of music today it's New Year's Day um, but uh, if I as a as someone who does a lot of scripted work now. Um, you know, it's it's kind of it sits on the intersection between like corny but believable and funny and poignant too. Yes. Um and if you think about all of the, the, the points it touches, like, you know, sort of sexual tension, the Nazis, mm-hmm. you know, like um ambition, family or career, you know, um, you know, all this kind of there were so many elements and layers to that story that are like, how did you put that all together in one piece? Like, how did you do that? It's, a, it's, a, it's incredible. So I'm um, a big fan of... of I just I watch that again. ...as a script. Yeah, I think... Watch that, it and yeah. listen. And now I've told you that, watch the dialogue and how they talk outside of the songs. And it's really... The, the nuns, the nuns are so funny. Like, the nuns are hilarious. Um, you know, the way... And, and that's a lot of that is the acting too. It's a really phenomenally acted film. And musicals are very kind of you know, jazz hands, you know, but not the sound of music. The acting is, is really on point um, because they got proper actors to do it. Um, there is know, that, so. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, the, obviously, musical theatre is, like, you are a proper actor, but, you know, if you think about, like, um, West Side Story, it's all like, oh, my God! And, you know, it's all, like, a bit heightened. Yeah. But um, there's a lot of uh, subtlety in that in, in those performances, but it's, uh, I think. Yes, I mean, early film, they were still trying to do it as if they were doing it on stage. There was still an element mm. of trying to film it like they're on stage and slowly realising that doesn't work in this medium. We need to come up with a way that works in film. So it's perfectly acceptable for people to have that theatrical approach, but it doesn't necessarily work in film as much as it would You know what, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't considered that before, but you're, you, yeah, completely... Completely right, yeah. All those kind of anchors away and all those kind of really old school Technicolor yeah. musicals, Oklahoma, really kind of, it's a different kind of entertainment. Yeah. Um, that's why I didn't like La La Land, yeah. actually, now I think on it. I thought La La Land was a bit too, like, show busy. 
you know, all that kind of stuff. I, I always fear when people start saying this is really clever and this is a really good take on or something, and I always oh. start going, oh, oh is it? <laughs> yeah, listen, three three billboards, that'd be another one. That, that would be under that banner. Like, I watched three billboards, like, yeah. a few years after it came out, and I was like... What, you lot said this was the greatest film of all time. Like, what were you talking about? Yeah. Like, that's that's crazy. Oh, can I? I, I just re- remember the film that we like. Oh, go. Um, go. I think it was called. Was it called Minari? It was about South Koreans. I'm going to Google it actually. Yeah, please. It's not one. I mean, it was about. called Minari. It was about South. It was a. This is this is literally just my favorite film right now. Right. But it was about a South Korean immigrant family uh, that had moved to North America. Right. And it's one of the most beautiful films ever made. Okay. Oh, it's gorgeous. And it won an Oscar. I think it might have won Best Picture, actually. Um, but don't quote me on that. It might have been nominated. And it just came to my head thinking about this conversation we're having about radical films. It's beautifully radical. Not one I've seen, and so. The depiction of the family unit is beautifully radical as well because it's not like the characters are not how you would traditionally and stereotypically think the characters are that, like the grandma or the wife or the husband. And how it plays out is not stereotypical. It's unpredictable in many ways. because it's so, And it feels, it, it's one of the most serenely honest movies I feel like I've ever watched. Um, and because that was an Oscar recommendation at the time when I watched yeah, it, I was... Yeah even more impressed by it because Oscar recommendations aren't always very good. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> historically. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Shoplifters is another one. It's a Japanese film which just will just tear your heart out, man. Oh, so good. I honestly believe like um, um, South Asia, Asia and East Asia, that's where the f- great films are right now. Uh, they're just yeah. making, they're in a real... Purple Patch, um, RRR was the one that came out a couple of year ago, two years ago from the from Bollywood. Yeah, think, yeah. A riot of a movie. I've never. It's a, it's about three and a half hours long. I do not like long films. I like my films to be ninety minutes long. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a it's so it's like I don't know how to describe RRR, but it's if you know a lot about Indian history, you'll like it even more. Mm. Um, and if you know a lot about what India is like now, because it's full of really problematic propaganda, but you still like it because yeah. it's just so unapologetic. Crazy film, but yeah, let me yeah. So Minari was my answer. I, think, I mean, I have like like everyone else, I have some reservations about how streaming functions. But one of the things it has done is it has brought people or allowed people to experience a wider audience of film than just Hollywood. You know, oh massively. You know, yeah. there is a whole host of things you can dig into that aren't just the Hollywood churn machine. Like you say, films from Korea or or India or wherever that you can literally just get streaming you don't have to faff around with it you can just stream and I think that's a brilliant thing name one time you were proud of your work and why so I'm currently writing a, a, a contemporary circus show it's a combination of stand-up and contemporary circus and it's going okay I think um but um the um, <laughs> I'm producing it with a company called Upswing and it's run by the most um industrious um woman who always finds money for things. And last December, she was like, oh, uh, we've got this show booked for a theatre run in 2024, which is next year. Yeah, <laughs> so I've got to write this thing. Now, yeah, yeah, it's quite close. <laughs> uh, but she also said, oh, we've also got some money to film a, a promo for it, um, to put out as like a teaser. And I was like, okay. And she was like, yeah, so we need to like write it and film it in January. And <laughs> I was like, what? 
<laughs> anyway, like obviously, long story short, like I wrote it and we filmed it, and uh, brilliant. I've never done anything so quickly, and um, yeah, it was really nice to do something. You know, to be like, oh, we want this, write it, and we'll film it. And it's just a, it's just a eleven minute short film, and it's out there. It's called Common Ground, and it's you know it's available on my link tree. My link is on my socials if you want to watch it. But I guess I'm kind of proud of that. I've done a lot of stuff. I, I, I feel notes. like. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's called. We've actually had to change the show title, um, but it's the the short video was still called Common Ground, the mockumentary, and um, that's nice. And that's actually one of the first self produced things I've done. I've I've Amazing. written a lot of stuff for TV and radio that gets made. Yeah. But to be part of the whole process to write, film, acting, and then obviously be responsible for the live show, it was sort of for me like, oh, like people do this all the time. And I should do more of this. Um, and I was, I, yeah, it was it was great. And I, I think it's funny. I think, it, and also I've been telling people for a little while now, I'm working on a circus show. I'm working on a stand-up show. And they're like, what? And that video kind of encapsulates what we're doing. Yeah. So I love it. So I, cause when people go, that's strange. Like I watched a video, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like a business card. I'm like, oh, I can't explain this no more, but now we've got a video. Yeah, just watch this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I think about, that's what comes to mind today. But I definitely have had moments where I feel like, oh, wow, I, I'm so happy I did this. Like I did a Soho Theatre run last year that I still think I'm really proud of. Good. Um, Good. But that, 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 that short film that I, I wrote and, you know, I, I like that. I like it a lot. I, I mean, yeah, if, if money was no object, that's what I'd be doing all the time is filming things I've written. But unfortunately, the harsh reality is there isn't a magic money treat. Um, but I've done some and it is incredible. Um, and even the silly hours we worked, you know, to film the last couple, just insane hours. But you do it because you love it. So, yeah. Um, and the yeah. end result, just the yeah, end, when exactly. the end result reflects you and your intention, I think that exists forever. Mm. Like someone's going to stick your name into Google and it's going to pop up. Like, yeah, 100%. Lots of things pop up, not all good, but like it's <laughs> for me. But, but that, you know, that's that's kind of. So I like that. I I enjoy that. And it's a real privilege, um, I think, uh, to be in a position to kind of have some kind of legacy, even though, you know, it's not a, you know, it's not, not an effective one, but it's there. And that's a real privilege. Oh, I mean, I, this is the positive part. So this, the, I mean, you've, as you said, you've written for a load of shows and now you're doing your own things. I mean, that is a positive, isn't it? So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Like I said, it's always, a, it's, I, I never take for granted what I do for a, a living. It, when even when it's unrewarding and difficult because uh, I remember when my work was financially rewarding and I was so unhappy so I never take any of this like I never sit around and, and I, don't, I try not to wallow too much well speaking I mean uh, yeah I was, uh, a friend of mine is she often appears in writers rooms in America from time to time but the last I obviously can't say where but the last one she turned up at she was really excited that you know she was going to be in this writers room as she turned out, there was like, I think she said like 22 people crammed into this room. And she said it was just chaos. It was just utter carnage because there was 22 people trying to prove themselves. And it's just, you can't, you, you do need, for some things, you do need people to create, you know. But it was like 22 is just insane. 
I mean, you what know. would you write? What are they writing? Like, <laughs> yes, like, like, a chain letter. Yeah. Like, it's just, <laughs> what are you hoping to come up? You know with? that thing you do at school where you like you write one sentence and then you fold the paper down and you write another sentence and you roll the paper down and you get like this really random story. Like, yeah. I suspect you'll become another one of the uh, VAT write-offs that we keep hearing about at the moment. So. <laughs> <laughs> like, we all do it. We all do it. New laptop. Why? Don't ask questions. Just, just yeah. fill it. Just, accountants just ask fewer questions. <laughs> Yes, very true. Yeah, very true. Yeah, uh, no, but be proud, right. no, be proud of that because it's an incredible achievement. Just, you know, actually being, you. A, being asked because that's always a nice thing that someone's recognised the talent and said, can you, well, not can you, basically you are going to do this, but I'm just saying, can you do it? But I'm very much expecting you to get on with it. But I really like that. I just think that's a real, it's a real uh, credit when someone recognises it and just says, mm-hmm. off you go. You've got, you've got like not very long to both write it, produce it. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and... And then they did it, and I got you know I get to, what I love about the shows. I get to spend the day with contemporary circus artists, and they can you know they can oh, do like flat, they do like backflips and stuff like that. Yeah. It'll be like a Tuesday, and I'll just be just like upside down, just hanging out on a on a trapeze and stuff. So it's super. It's I get a lovely energy working with when with other creators. The one thing about being a comedian and a writer is it's very difficult to meet other artists with like outside of your world because you just write comedy or you perform it. So kind of like it it kind of gets my head out of my ass to be with other creatives who have different stories and yeah. different personality yeah. types and different ways of expressing themselves. Because I always say comedy is the cousin of other art forms mm. and it's really easy to evolve from comedy into other things, but you do need to pollinate. You need to be pollinated mm. to do that. It's so it's really inspiring to be around other creatives. It, 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 they help me more than anything. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Outside I, of the show, yeah. I tend to work, obviously being scriptwriter, I tend to write a lot on my own, but I do, like you say, you have to remind yourself you do need other people as much as you'd like to think you can create everything just from your own head. You do actually need some input, external inputs and uh, things to get your, you know, get the brain going. So absolutely. Mm, yeah, Good enough, we went, yeah. it's funny you say circus, because my, my partner, you know you always assume people have already done things um it was only a couple of weeks ago where she mentioned about oh i've never been to the circus and i thought you've got to be joking everyone in the world has been to at least one and no she hadn't because she traveled around a lot when she was younger she just had never been so we did go to the circus and i'd forgotten just how incredibly talented uh, the people are on those shows you've got very hazy memories of it but actually watching like you say these people doing just these amazing and what looked like quite dangerous <laughs> stunts. Oh, no, it, so they yeah. risked their lives. Okay, yeah. so this is like, like, so actually the show we're talking about is literally about the, the what people go through to become circus artists, particularly contemporary circus artists. This is yeah. where you get like the Cirque du Soleil kind of performances and the, the, the three high pyramids or maybe the four high pyramids or the yeah. the, fire, the juggling fire and all that kind of stuff. And they, they risk their lives, yeah. um, you know, every night and yeah. every day. Yeah. And just phenomenal. The, yeah, yeah, just that kind of combination of athleticism but also like performance is mm. is kind of not um it's it's deserving of, of of a bigger platform than it currently has i guess but it's yeah um, i agree i do agree yeah that, they, so, managed, they managed to smile all the way through it which i always think oh, oh yeah <laughs> they're the happiest people you ever meet man circus acts honestly um so, and you've joined you've run off and you join the circus of course you're going to be happy um, <laughs> but yeah i met <laughs> yeah but i've met some real phenomenal people about this whole process of, of, of conceiving the show and i'm very excited about next year it's going to open in march oh. in berlin so oh very, wow very excited yeah, oh, yeah yeah i'm looking forward to it with you now even though there, obviously, but <laughs> yeah have yeah. an amazing no, no, time no, listen you're a star you're a star it's yeah, going you're a star you're very too much i could be there yeah but have an amazing mm-hmm. time that that sounds thank amazing. you 
thank you. Okay, uh, name one time you could have curled up into a ball and let the universe swallow you whole. Easily. Easily. Just one, don't start. Just one time. Just the one, Easily. don't start on the... I, I've, I've spoken about this a lot in the past. I'll always speak about it. I died once. I won't name the club, but I will tell you it was a Friday night, but it was a club I really wanted to play at, so I did what they call the open spot, mm-hmm. and I couldn't have died harder, <laughs> and it, but and I was with with peers who were opening, emceeing and closing, who I had the utmost respect for. Mm. And so it was even more embarrassing that all oh. of my friends were there. And it was just, it was at a point when I should have been at my peak because I'd just mm. done my Edinburgh debut. So, you know, you're supposed to, you're, 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 you're supposed to be like the big deal or whatever. And <laughs> I just, I didn't pitch myself. It was a Friday night in a, in a clubby club and I didn't do clubby club stuff, <laughs> not to make excuses. I wasn't good. And it got so bad that audience felt sorry for me and they were like trying to encourage me to keep going. And oh. it just was like the worst, it couldn't. And I think it was the one I remember cause the optimism I went into that gig was like, um, I've never been so confident. <laughs> I'd prepared, prepared, prepared. I'd warmed up, I'd, I'd, gone, I'd done other gigs to warm up for it. Yeah. And the set was flying. But yeah, and I've learned a real lesson about like, give the people what they want. Don't, you know, don't get ahead of yourself. <laughs> Just, you know what people like, Athena, do that. And I think it's different now. I'm a better performer now. I could probably get away with some of the stuff that I was getting away, trying to get away with then. But back then I should have just not been an idiot. Ter- and I, yeah, I, I wanted I wanted to d- evaporate in that moment. <laughs> evaporate, I like it. Yeah. But it sounds like you took away some, hardly that was, it sounds like you took away some lessons. So that's all for the good. I took away an answer to that question. <laughs> you get asked a lot in comedy when did you die or what what was your most embarrassing moment so i got an answer to that question <laughs> that's what i took away <laughs> but i only allow the one so we have to move on now so oh good 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 because there's <laughs> there's many more okay uh name one item of memorabilia you have acquired from the circuit that you would happily pull from the fire before anything else including loved ones oh it doesn't God, have that's to ter- be, obviously it doesn't have to be because obviously <laughs> notwithstanding my children who obviously would happily pull from any fire um i don't know it's probably like i got a mock the week face mask i did a, a pandemic mock the week and they gave out mock the week face masks which was super wow. cute um and they i did two two seasons and they cancelled it so i, I take full responsibility for that <laughs> um but yeah like my mock you know i never i think i i'd never i didn't there was like a golden age of being a stand-up where there was just lots of stand-up work on TV and slowly mm. but surely that's kind of diminishing and now it's very light entertainment, you know, which is fine, but it just, it's it has like a different entry point. It's not like, mm. oh, you're a great stand-up. It's more like, what's your energy like? And are you bubbly and all this kind of stuff. So there was a point where it was like, you know, I guess TV was a bit more thirsty for stand-ups and mm. I probably missed that. So I was really lucky to get in on the, on the tail end of the week really and do at least get at least a couple of episodes onto my CV and, and, and enjoy that process. And um, yeah, that face mask, I'd probably- um, Fair enough. Pull that face mask from the, from the fire. It's, it's super cute, I really liked it. Oh, brilliant. No, that's a great answer, I, I love that. I know when people say, oh, loved ones, no, definitely my loved ones. When I know I don't literally mean, <laughs> I just mean for the comedic effect of the things, that's all. So. Um, what one thing would you not tell up and coming funny people so they could suffer like you did? So I probably wouldn't. You can be mean. <laughs> I know you're not a mean person, but you are <laughs> totally allowed to be mean if, on this if one. I, so. 
if if I wanted to be mean, I wouldn't. I w- I would tell them to say yes to everything. <laughs> I would say say yes, say yes to everything. Um, mm. Because at any level of this business, whether you are brand new or whether you are, um, you know, experienced, if you're not thinking you're going to enjoy something, or if you know you're not going to enjoy it, just don't do it. If it's yeah. not for you, it's not for you. And having said that, I do think it's important when you're when you're new, particularly as a stand up to like hustle and you know play you know don't go more than a week without a gig is what they say and gig 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 and all that stuff but like yeah. don't do it if you don't enjoy it because it takes too much from you it mm. takes too much money it takes too much energy um in it, it takes a lot of investment so you it's just not worth it if you don't enjoy it because then if you don't enjoy it you won't continue so if you do something for a year and you hate it and you mm. stop you've wasted your year but if you yeah. do something for three years but you do it bit by bit until you get into the rhythm and then you keep doing it, then now you haven't wasted a few years. That makes sense. So I've seen many acts burn out based on like an obsession or an ambition and then they go, I don't like it anymore. Whereas when I started, for a long time, I regretted this. For a long time, I regretted starting how I started. So where I started is, I genuinely, I did one gig a month. There was a gig in South, I'm from London. There was a gig in South London where you could play it once a month really easily. So I just went there once a month to do it. And it was a bringer. You brought your friend and uh, it's called the Cavendish Arms gigs. I don't know how they book it now, but back in my day, you, you emailed and you got your spot and you, I did my January spot and then I did my February spot. I did that for a year. And then someone said, Athena, like you got a gig more than this. And I was like, oh really? <laughs> but, and I look back and I'm like, wow, I wasted about 12 to 18 months just like, just doing that. <laughs> yeah, but, it, it, but in many ways I didn't, you know, I just got to kind of practice being a comedian and I got to keep doing my day job. And what was the rush? You know, I was happy. I was fairly happy. In yeah. my life. So I wouldn't recommend it if it's, if you want to get somewhere quickly, but I would, <laughs> uh, you know, and it was one stage and one gig. Right. So it's not like, and it was a bringer too. So if you don't know what bring it is, you, it's when the, the you, ha- you as a stand up, you have to bring a friend to make the up to make the audience numbers, which is not great. Um, I, you know, and I wouldn't recommend doing bringing gig, gigs. Um, but that was the only way I knew how to get stage time. I didn't know any other way. Um, so, and and I've, I used to think that was terrible of me, but now I'm like, actually, that's probably a part of my stamina. Uh, you yeah. know, because I, I had that kind of, I was in first gear for so long. When I went into second gear, this was like, oh, I was kind of hungry. So mm. I would I would tell them to say yes to everything and just... <laughs> you know burn out but, but, it, but everyone has has to learn I, you know I've, I've said this um on a couple now where i'd read i'd written a script that placed uh in the final of a quite well-known competition and you think oh that's it now i'm off to hollywood that's it you know i'll be getting the calls any day now and then nothing whatsoever happens and it, it dawns on you actually that you've got to just keep at it and you've got to just increase what you're going to do and where you're going to go and you you can't just sort of relax and sit back on your lawyers but but you have to sort of learn that for yourself and you have to learn how far you're or how much you're prepared to put in and how far you can go with that and Mm -hmm. that's something you you can tell people that but you have to kind of learn it for yourself because it's it's what's going to work for you like you said earlier it has to be what works for you doesn't it so but it's it's not always an easy lesson but it's a useful one yeah, it's all about sustainability. You've got to mm. do something in a way you can sustain it. Yeah. And you do have to, and there was there are sacrifices to be made, but you've got to be ready to make those sacrifices. So I probably yeah. wasn't ready in those yes. early days, but then when I was ready, I was willing. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a great point. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, okay, outside of comedy, what else do you enjoy doing and what would be your ideal career? So I'm very boring 
Um, <laughs> like uh, it's it's like I like riding my bike. It's like who cares for shit? But I do. I like I like riding my bike. Um, I like cooking. I'm a very. I, I mean, it, it's funny because I like you know I tend to do all the cooking in my house. So it's like everyone has to eat. So it's not a great hobby. Like you know sustenance sustenance for my children and whatever um but i love cooking and i love reading i'm sort of a vociferous reader um and i said i'm a bit of a cinephile so i love i love movies um um but actually i was actually, i was speaking about this just uh, this evening because i was at a birthday party with my daughter it was a fifth birthday party no. and um, one of the parents yeah one of the parents thought i couldn't do this i was like what kids are amazing so i'd probably genuinely be like an early years worker or, or something maybe it's something in child psychology i really yeah. I've taken to the company of, of young people. They make me laugh yeah. constantly and consistently. Um, they are infuriating little <laughs> jelly beans. Um, but um, I, I feel, I, I feel um, it's a complete privilege to be in the company of, of young people. And, um, and so I would happily, in another universe, has, have trained as some kind of early years worker, as a nursery worker. And, you know, it's not something you do to get rich or... No you know uh, or anything like that but especially in this country how it is now but um yes. and, and as a care parent and parents and carers will know like early years workers are just like saints there's mm. you know because you need them to work because you need childcare, but also like they're the professionals like they teach your kids to read like they mm. give your kids literacy mm. guys they give our children literacy like this is just like we're obviously reading to our children and we're doing our best but you know they give our children, they make our kids literate, they make them, they give mm. them numeracy. They, you know, I think it's wonderful. Um, yeah. So I put, I yeah, I would, yeah. I'd really, I'd really enjoy being an early years worker, actually. I love, I've been, I've, I've enjoyed every second of, of being a parent as much as, as hard as it is. And I'm always, always privileged yeah. to, to have that position. Yeah, I, I always, um, always say to people, if you can hear, if you hear um, somebody in, a, say, a supermarket saying something that sounds slightly too aggressive about, yeah, something they're going to do to their kids if this happens again. You you can see parents will just nod along and go, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. And you can see people who haven't got kids looking shocked and horrified. And it's like, that is just, it's just part of it, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's, you know, it is. You know, you love them to pieces, but also sometimes well, you could just, you know, <laughs> just... They push your buttons, man. They push your buttons. Yeah, but that's, yeah. you know, I'm, I I try to be very conscious of when my buttons are pressed. Um, <laughs> and I, one thing I do, I, I apologise to my kids all the time. So if they're like, you know, if, if they kind of, if I feel like I've spoken to them in the wrong tone, I always say, I'm sorry I said that to you that way. So I know this isn't a parenting podcast, but that, that's, <laughs> it's so important that you, you as an adult are teaching them that adults can say sorry as well. You know, that adults aren't always right. You know, that you can apologize um, for behavior yeah. or things said or whatever. That, that's such a vital lesson. It isn't necessarily always taught. So, well, I'll tell you what, mm. you're not going to be an apologetic person if no one's ever apologized to you, you know, 100%. so, if, so uh, that's kind of like, it's just like a really good behavior to instill. Um, yes, yes. Some, you know, I can be wrong as well. So, you know. Yeah. And it's like, and it's okay to be wrong, you know, yeah. like, but there, we are human and there, there was, a, you know, there was a reason that I, um, like this morning, I forgot my daughter's book back, which is like not a big deal, but it's quite stressful for her. And I said, this is my fault. It's mm. not your fault. I'm sorry. Because obviously, like, she's five years old, like, it's not her job to remember all the stuff she needs for school, right? <laughs> like ultimately, like it's it's me. Um, yeah. Uh, so like stuff like stuff like that, and I'm like, um, you know, I've I've you know I'm I'm home alone at the minute, so I'm dealing with both the kids, which is not a big deal. It's only two of them, but I just left the house a bit too quickly. That's all. 
if I said I'm yeah. so sorry, I haven't, you, but you don't need it today, and this is my fault, and I'm sorry. And stuff, so stuff like that is 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 cool. But yeah, an early years worker, I I probably would be an early years worker. I think, Ooh, you'd, be, I, I think yeah. you'd be amazing at that from what you said. So I think. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, I might be doing that in a couple of years. So watch the space. <laughs> you never know. Um, as, okay, long, uh, as long as the, uh, the place I work is in walking distance of where I live. <laughs> not yeah, not three hours, not a three hours drive, please. <laughs> not a three hours drive. Um, what, is the, next question, what is the one question you want to be asked that no one um, ever thinks to ask you? Um, it's funny, actually, because you get asked a lot of stuff on, like, podcasts and, you know, when you do, like, talks and stuff. Um, people kind of... Um, people don't ask me more questions about my class and I've you know anyone who I don't think there's many of them out there but anyone who's followed my comedy will know that I've been writing and performing lots about class recently and the reason I think Mm -hmm. that's important is because people make assumptions about my class Mm. and that has always frustrated me in my professional life before comedy and uh, my life as a comedian because I'm Mm. middle class Um, in fact I'm incredibly middle class but people are very keen for me to be working class so I can tick their boxes. And, um, and you know, the, it's really fascinating because the story of, of most um, second generation migrants in this country is actually that mm. they are the children of middle class people. The mm. reason being in the 60s and 70s and even 80s, you had to be quite wealthy to move here. Yeah. So Good most point. of our parents are educated. They have professions mm-hmm. um, and qualifications, but they weren't able to play out those professions and qualifications and, you know, um, things like that when they lived here because of, I guess, prejudice and racism. So, you know, your taxi driver has a PhD. Your security guard is probably a doctor. You know, that kind of... And because there were so many migrants doing doctoring and all yeah. that kind of fresher stuff we forget the huge percentage who are not doing the jobs they're trained to do mm. because um because of these issues i had a cleaner who was a qualified primary school teacher mm. and you know and she spoke great english but she said that you know her english wasn't judged to be good enough to teach but even like mm. teaching assistant right like it's crazy right so so mm. we don't talk enough about that and sometimes we position the story particularly of kind of kind of black Caribbean and black African migrants, you position it as a kind of like, oh, you know, they came, they were nurses in the NHS and then they retired. And it's like, no, actually, like there's a wider, but that's, you know, that's, that's a narrative. Mm. And actually it's, it's way more complicated than, than that. And yes. um, and I think it's, people don't ask me, people make a lot of assumptions about where I come from and who I am based on what, the, based on also what they'd like to portray as well. So I'd like to be asked fewer questions about like countries my mum my comes from, yeah. And my mum and my dad come from, and like to be asked more questions about my actual upbringing from like a class perspective, because I'm middle class. I say all the time it's important. I have like three degrees. Um, you know, before I was a comedian, I was a very well paid professional in a lot of industries, and people maybe because of the way I talk when I'm fairly relaxed, I'm not necessarily. I, I you know I speak quite well. You know, I do voiceover. So I just switched my voice a little bit. But my, my relaxed voice is this. So people, you know, I come from a nice area, went to a terrible school. So I, I kind of code switch a lot naturally. Mm. Um, you know, yeah, people people like to age down black people, you know. So I've, people always perceive me to be younger. They perceive me to be a bit more street or hood or whatever because of the way I dress and talk. And, and that's not where I come from at all. And it's it's not right. fully what I'm about. And I think it's, there's, there's a real denial of, of, the existence of like the black middle class in this country, mm. yeah. which is really weird because 
I can't leave my house without seeing a black person on a bus stop or on the TV or on a billboard or doing something. There's a massive black middle class and it, they, and they, they play a massive role in, we play a massive role in public life. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, this idea that we're all just kind of on our come up, you know, all hustling. It's like, what are you talking about? Like Clive Myrie reads you the news every night. Yeah. You know, how many black newsreaders do we have to have before we stop thinking Trevor McDonald is an anomaly? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, we talk about Trevor McDonald, like, he's like the boy. only, like, more. Everyone talks about Trevor McDonald. What about Moira Stewart? Yeah. She was always there. You know, yeah. BBC London News is literally always a black or brown person. Like, it's mm. kind of like we've made, we done made it, man. Like, you know, the football, the English football team is like all, is like 60%. <laughs> some you know of african caribbean heritage and um and they're very rich men they mm. are middle class men who move out of the areas they come up from and they live in very middle class lives mm-hmm. um so i'd like to talk more about that and i'd like to see a bit more representation not representation but something i talk about a lot is like who tells those those stories don't exist right now of just like the middle class family who exist <laughs> like there is it isn't there i mean there's definitely this definitely sounds like a pitch to bbc possibly <laughs> or... it's been it's been pitched <laughs> don't worry it's, oh, been pitched. <laughs> it's just it's, not been it's, right. it's not been accepted but I, I i genuinely i'll keep banging that drum i'm not going to age stop my yeah, work down i'm not going to tell stories that i've already been told because a what's the point and b like i think you've got to fill vacuums when you when you're pitching work and you just, but the 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 difficult thing about filling vacuums is it's hard to get people to believe in it. But mm-hmm. like, you know, like black families exist. Um, successful black individuals do have children, and that funny stories exist within those worlds. That's mm-hmm. just a fact. Um, and there's no reason why those stories shouldn't be told. Yeah, yeah, you're so you're so true. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's so many more stories to be told, and so much more. Sadly, so much more of us to evolve um, uh, into a more, I don't know, just everyone just gets on. I know it's a bit sort of Coca-Cola advert, but it would be quite <laughs> nice. I don't think it's going to happen before I shuffle. Before, 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 but <laughs> it, would listen, nice. it would be nice, yeah. Uh, but I'd like, yeah, I'd like more people to talk to me about um, about class and less about race, because th- we've actually had that conversation a lot. But class is more endemic in this country. Class will hold you back more than race. In my opinion, in my opinion, let me caveat that. I think there's an intersection at play there too. But I promise you, like, if you're black and you're middle class, like, there are rooms you'll be allowed into. I know because I've been in those rooms. Mm. It's a lot of these times we're talking about class. Um, yes. But that, that's not to say racism isn't there, but you can outmaneuver racism if you assimilate into a certain class in this country. So, mm. why? So, that's the issue. Like, why are we only, why are we asking people to assimilate? Why aren't we taking people as they are? Um, that's point. the question yeah no that's a really good point like no, yeah why, or basically i'm saying why did i have to get three degrees <laughs> why it was so hard <laughs> like <laughs> why did i have to do that to get anywhere in my life like why couldn't i just have not done any of that but you know it's all good <laughs> no, no no that's good and i hope someone listens to this and is doing a histories type uh exploratory podcast and ask you on it because that sounds fascinating to have a, <laughs> a long discussion about that so absolutely well, hopefully the pitch gets picked up and I'll, I'll see you on BBC4 or wherever doing your um, talking about it in more detail. Oh, yeah. Or, um, you know, you'll find me at a nursery. <laughs> Just or... living, out my, living out my secondary. <laughs> either way, <laughs> I, either one might be happy. I'd be happy. But man, I need to sort out my immune system before I get into that nursery. My gosh, I need to take some echinacea or something. I need to go hold on barrett and get some medicine because this is not good. 
No, well, it's fair enough. I, I can hear your suffering a bit. So um, we'll finish there, but thank you so much. Big thank you to Athena for that interview. Um, if you'd like to know more, there's links in the show notes. Uh, this has been an original podcast production for Light Motif Productions, copyright 2023. Thank you for listening. <laughs>